Yeah, we're continuing our series in the Warrant of Fitness, and this morning we're looking at rearview mirrors. Um, now, I, I shared with you last week, I'm not real um, car knowledgeable, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, one thing I really can't stand about cars is when you get up in the morning, especially here in Wellington, I've noticed, you get up in the morning in wintertime, you get into the car, it's all fogged up. Anyone had that experience? And then it takes forever. I've got everything on. And you know, all the whole AC air, the whole thing, windows down, and it's all fogged up. And usually everything clears by the time I get to work. <laughs> right? Of course, Monica's got all these great remedies for it, but I'm done. So I have a hard time with, with cars, and I'm very impatient with them. They don't do as I want them to do all the time. But what do you think are the importance of rear view mirrors? You can see if the cops are chasing you. That and the bright lights usually you give it away, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't have much use for them anyway. They're always fogged up. But anyway, um, what else? To look back in anger at the bad drivers you've left behind in your wake, right? <laughs> Hopefully crash to the ditch behind you, yes. <laughs> what else? Sorry. Oh, it's good for when you're parking. The great thing about review mirrors is that you don't actually have to turn your head. Like, you don't have to turn around. You can, like, literally be looking forward and just kind of make some little head movements and you see everything. It's amazing, huh? If you think about it, well-placed rearview mirrors give you a very good view of everything around you almost. The one, windows, mirrors on your side, the one in the middle, it's fantastic. So the question I've got to ask you though is, what do you see in your own lives when you look through your rearview mirror? What do you see? A trail of destruction? as you sped through life. I was gonna do this morning's sermon on the weight of our past. And, and, and frankly, when I look into a rear view mirror, I, I usually see my failings. I usually see the things I could have done better. I usually see the things that hurt me or the things that have tripped me up or the decisions I've made that were poor that I could have done better with. That's usually what I see through my rearview mirrors. And I imagine if we talk about some of the big guys in the, uh, 
oh, in the New Testament, people like Peter, imagine what he sees through his rearview mirror. I imagine the one and only thing he will see in his rearview mirror is the night he betrayed Jesus. And then, thank you everybody, but they've all wrote about it too and they're spreading all the letters to everybody. So everybody knew about what was in Peter's rearview mirror. But imagine how he felt personally as he's driving along in life and looking into those mirrors. He could most probably just see that night. Or what about somebody like Paul? How many people died at Paul's hand before he converted? How many Christians were martyred thanks to Paul? We would be somebody today we'd have a hard time forgiving. Imagine. I mean, I guess that's why he was such a workaholic, I think. Why he was so good at spreading the gospel. Mainly because when he looked in the rearview mirror, he might have thought, oh, how I hindered God. What's the guilt that's driving him? What about someone like Mary Magdalene? Can you imagine rumors that she was the prostitute in that uh, Mark chapter 8 story? Um, Some rumors today say that she was the wife of Jesus. She's always associated with some sort of sectional innuendo, a broken woman. I don't know what she might have seen in her rearview mirror, but we get a glimpse of it on Easter morning when she's sitting outside of an empty tomb in tears, having lost her saviour. I thought this would be what I would focus on, or it would work on the weight of our past, but then I thought, actually, the past kind of distracts us in some ways from what's really going on inside of us. What would a rearview mirror look of our soul, like what's actually inside of us? What would a rearview mirror show? I find it fascinating because when I drive to work, I usually leave home close to about 8 a.m., and it's only a 10-minute drive from Nine to Hut Central, but the amount of people that use their rearview mirrors to fix themselves up in the morning is amazing. It, it absolutely, even while they're driving. I, They say they're putting fines out for people, you know, driving and using their cell phone. No, man, you've got to be fines out for driving and using your rearview mirror. Because you don't necessarily, especially those on highways that hog the right lane, they don't use their rearview mirrors very much. But most of us, I think, are using it to see ourselves. And what do you see? What's the reflection? What's being showed what, what's there this is a challenge for I think for us Christians I'm playing this game at the moment it's a great way of just really forgetting about the world I know people say oh you shouldn't get into Xbox again. oh no I mean it's a great way of avoiding everything you get into this game I've got this game I'm playing at the moment Assassin's Creed Valhalla and it's fascinating right yeah I know the past is what what are you doing yeah no totally um and, and don't talk to my daughter about it because you just show another side of your beautiful pastor that, <laughs> that comes out, right? So this guy is a Viking and he goes to England to, to set up a settlement and he's raiding and pillaging and most of the places you raid and pillage are monasteries. And I feel really guilty being this guy going around pillaging monasteries. 
But that's what he's doing. But the fascinating thing is the dialogue. So he encounters these priests and they get talking and they make, develop relationships and all this. And then he says to one, there's one instance where he says to the priest, he goes, you know, you Christians are really interesting people. You really don't reflect the Christ that you follow. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> okay, I had to put the controller down because I wasn't reflecting Christ because I was about to beat somebody up. <laughs> and then I thought, man, how does a computer game convict me? But I think there is an issue there where we Christians aren't very self-aware sometimes. Who are we reflecting? Self-awareness is an important part of spiritual growth. Getting to know yourself and why you react the way you react or what it is, rather than point the finger to things that have happened in the past, they can't be changed. And I don't want to minimize hurts and pains, but at the same time, you have the ability to change who you are today. Self-awareness is really important. A number of church theologians over the years wrestled with this. The aspect that the Bible is not necessarily written to change the world, it's written to change you. And while we Christians tend to like to point ourselves to everything else going on in the world, we forget that the Bible actually points to me, to you. I shared last week, Jesus' one great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, has nothing to do with the Roman Empire, nothing to do with politics, nothing to do with how Alexander the Great messed the world up. It's all about us, about you, about me, us. Ephesians 4.22 says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on your new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Paul here is challenging us and saying, actually, you've encountered Jesus. The old ways don't exist anymore. There is a new you. And the reflection has to be more and more like Jesus. He's basically breaking down something Jesus himself said in John 3. He said this, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Unless they understand that things have changed and changed completely. How aware are you of yourself? How aware are you of what's really going on inside of you. Some of us are our greatest critics. Like we can criticize ourselves really well, but I'm not talking about critiquing. I'm trying to think of how, why, what. Do you know yourself? Augustine made this comment. You know, this is almost 2,000 years ago. He said, how can you draw close to God when you are so far from your own 
self. You can't draw, draw close to God if you're not knowing your very self. And he wasn't the only one to say that. St. Teresa of Avila said this, almost all problems in spiritual life stems from a lack of self-knowledge. And John Calvin said this, our wisdom consists entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Self-awareness is really important. And I really think actually... The, the rear view mirrors of a car is to allow us not just to see what we've left behind because believe it or not, sometimes the things we left behind end up overtaking us and we front them <laughs> sooner down the road, preferably a police car. It's not just to see what's happened behind us. I think it's more to see what's happening inside of us. What's going on? And I think as Christians of late, we've, and I say the royal we, and I don't just say us, but we in general have lost a lot of self-awareness. And when I play a silly computer game and find that they're speaking truth and that truth hurts, it hits right in the heart, then I think, yeah, no, something's not right. I was going to break down even more so, but we, we are kind of short on time. Um, what, what this reflection looks like. Jesus, when he came to uh, going on to the Sermon, uh, before going to the Sermon of the Mount, but first going into ministry, before he went into ministry, he went out into the desert to be tempted. Now, some of us have come up with all sorts of really weird and wonderful things. Sorry, guys, my clicker's not working for some reason. It might be a battery thing. Um, we see this story of um, what's happening with Jesus. And we've broken this down a million ways. You can read very different reviews on this. It's great because when I was first came to become a Christian, I became a Christian in a brethren church, and they taught me that this is the example of how to deal with spiritual warfare. If you memorize Scripture, because that's what Jesus does, he replies with Scripture, right? That's the sword. You need to attack with that. And they've missed the complete point of what's really going on here. Because this is actually all about self-awareness. Jesus is being prepped for ministry. He hasn't done really much of significance to this point. He's had his baptism. He goes out into the desert. He hasn't even started his ministry yet. He's getting prepped, and Satan tempts him on three things. The first one is this, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, frankly, there is nothing wrong with doing that. If I had the ability to turn stone to bread, man, that would be cool. How is that a sin? How is that wrong? What's wrong with that? Why would Satan even tempt him with that? He has the power to do it. In fact, his first miracle that's recorded is what? <laughs> that's amazing too though, right? Hey. So what's the difference? Water to wine, stones to bread. But there is a very subtle problem here. I am what I do. 
Jesus is not about being a miracle worker, though he is. That's not what he's about. But the temptation becomes being the miracle worker. And it will be because he'll be put under a lot of pressure in his ministry to do what? Absolutely. You know what the biggest pressure of a pastor is? People. <laughs> Someone said people. I didn't say that. <laughs> Sometimes it's trying to pull off the best sermon every week. And, you know, I've been sick for the last three days, and the biggest stress I've had is, how am I going to pull off a great sermon? And actually, I am not what I do. I I fall into that trap. We all fall into that trap. And Satan is tempting Jesus with that very trap. Come on, do this. This is what you do. I am not about what I do. And some of us, our identity is so sewn into what we do. Biggest failings for pastors, biggest failings for most Christians. I am what I do. And Jesus responds by saying, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I am not what I do. I rely wholly and solely on the Father in heaven for anything I do. So the second temptation, what is that? Second one is this. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he'll command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so you'll not strike a foot against the stone. Again, how is that bad? Is there something wrong in calling for God for help? He can do it. What did he do for Lazarus? He rose him from the dead. So what's the subtleness in this one? What's going on here? I am what I have. He has all the power in the world, in the universe. Jesus has all the power to do anything he wants. Anything he wants. (laughs) I fall into this trap, and I know some of you do as well. But when all things exasperate us, when all things drive us crazy, how do we respond? (laughs) Go buy stuff. (laughs) Yes, go on a shopping trip. (laughs) Makes me feel better. Comfort food. Oh, yeah, don't talk about comfort food. (laughs) Oh, man. I was sick. Look, I was sick for three days. And and I, poor mom, mom, I mean... Man flu is the worst, isn't it? I mean, she'd been sick before that. Bella had been sick before that. I get it, and the whole household stops, right? You know, um, and all I wanted was chips. <laughs> potato chips. I don't care. I just want potato chips. Why? Because I'll feel better. No, I won't, but it feels good. Comfort food, what I have. And some of us have this need to have. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes, actually, it's power, authority. Jesus has angels. They can do whatever they want. They will fall at his feet when he calls them. And Satan here is saying, you're going to go to the cross. You could stop that at any moment. 
you could call down any riches you want. You're the Lord of the universe. As tempting as it may have been, Jesus responds by saying this. It is also written, do not put your God to the test. Don't test God. It's a fascinating word, by the way, that Greek word. It means so much more than just testing. Don't try him. Don't push him. Don't try to fulfill him. What you have doesn't make you you. We, uh, uh, when I was youth pastoring in the U.S., I remember uh, in Northern Virginia, there was, we had a large group of, of kids, a lot of them coming from not so good households, and we'd, we'd have a blast, and, and the families there were very supportive in our church, and we would go to their houses. And, and the thing that these kids couldn't believe when they went to these guys' houses was how big some of these houses were. Houses that just couples lived in that had six or seven bedrooms, three stories with a finished basement, three kitchens, I don't know how many baths, and these kids would be like, this house has its own postcode, you know. And, and I'd be looking at them going, yeah, you're right. They're living with so much. Why? Oh, in case we have visitors. Going on, Jesus again is then tempted. The devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kings of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. This is pretty blatant, okay? <laughs> this is bad. I mean, Satan was subtle, and he's not subtle anymore. But the question I've got to ask you is, and just to kind of let it percolate, because it's one of the questions in the study for this week, is why did Satan come up with two very subtle questions and the last one being so blatant that even most Sunday school kids will say, yeah, that's wrong, Satan. Why are you doing that? I only worship God. I'm not going to worship you. But there is a fact here that's going on. Jesus has come to do what? To save people, to save everyone. What's Satan offering? That exact thing. But there's a fact in here. Jesus is not doing this just because his father commanded him to. There is a genuine love for his people, for all people. If not, he wouldn't be doing this. The temptation of cutting corners, of pleasing people, we all face this. We all face this. This is something that goes right across the board, no matter what culture you're from. My wife's from Mexico. I've got Italian Arab blood in me. We're in New Zealand. We've been in the US. Everyone's the same. We all want to please people. And we don't operate well when people aren't happy with us. And that's a challenge, isn't it? So of those three things we look at in that rearview mirror, what do people think? What am I... What am I doing? What do I have? Those are the three things that tend to actually drive us the most, more than anything else we do. 
and our reactions and how we respond to people around us are born usually out of one of those three or sometimes all three of those things. Are we aware of that? Are we aware why we respond the way we respond, how we act the way we act? Why we search for comfort food? Jesus responded to Satan, away from me, worship the Lord your God and serve him and serve him only. A warrant of fitness, like I said, for a car is most probably the scariest thing. I just had mine done this last week and got a bill for $800. I felt bad for the car because he was really poked and prodded at that point. If I had to pay $800, I'd hate to know what he went through. And it's a he, because I just think of it as a he. Cars. What we do, what we have, what people think. These are the things that tend to drive us. And if we're not aware of those things in our lives, we'll tend to allow them to continue to drive us. And if we're born again, if Jesus is who lives in us, the challenge we have is to take out what's not of him. Being born again is a process. It's a it's, it's a race, as Paul says, that we keep running day by day, being challenged ourselves to grow. So this week, like I've done last week and the week before last week, how many people did the five-day challenge? One, two, three. Oh, man, guys. See, what people think, now it's hitting me. Come on. No, don't do this for me. Do it for yourselves. Five-day challenge last week was to just read your Bible five days in a row for a little, pick a book, read a little bit on it, let it percolate with you. This week, I'm going to ask you to do another five-day challenge. And you're like, oh, man, it's like I'm back at school again. It's giving me homework. Hey, I'm not doing all the work here. We've got some homework to do. Five-day challenge is a journal. Again, the clicker's not working. Sorry, guys. There it is, journal. I'll stay on this side because that works. Sorry, guys. Not neglecting you. Okay, I want you to think of three things in your interactions with God, your interactions with yourself, your interactions with people. Every day for five days, just, just do five days. That's all you need to do. Ten minutes. Take a moment to write down interactions with God. What happened today? How did you interact with God? What was going on with you and God? Did you even speak to him at all? And, and, and be honest with yourself. You're not trying to convince anyone else but yourself. Okay, you don't need to prove it to me or the person next to you. This is just about you and God. So, write down, did you even talk to God? Put in a no. It's important for you to acknowledge that. Uh, interactions with yourself. How were your feelings? What was going on in your own mind? What were you reflecting on the most in your day? And your interactions with people, did they go well? How many thoughts went through your head about other people? and what they're doing or saying, or how are you reacting to it? What were your interactions about that? It doesn't need to be a full essay, just a small paragraph, short words. You write it yourself, your journal. And in those three things, you're going to see three things come out. Your interactions with God, you might find it's all about doing. What have you done? Your interactions with yourself will end up reflecting a lot about what you have or don't have. And then your interactions with people will reflect a lot on what people think. 
or what you think people have thought. Do it for five days. Journal it. Become aware of what actually is driving you. Says the guy on the stage who is wholly driven by doing, wholly truly driven by having, and wholly driven by what people think. I'm not saying this because I've got it. I don't have it. But the first step is to become aware of it. And I'm not here to change Christian communities around the world to get them all. I'm here to challenge us to be better, to grow stronger and deeper in Jesus Christ. That when we come out of this wolf, when we come out of this warrant of fitness, we might be just that little bit better at being able to walk this walk. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. Sorry, guys, we've gone a little bit longer today. So, five-day challenge again for the half dozen that did last week's challenge. Thank you. I won't check on you next week. But every week you will be given a challenge. Every week you will be given homework. Every week you'll be given something to walk away with to work on yourself. Don't wait for Sundays to be challenged to walk in Christ. You need to do that for yourself daily. We're here to help you with some tools. Father God, I just want to lift up our hearts to you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you for the witness that we saw earlier of two young men giving their hearts and their lives to you, Jesus. For those of us who have given our lives to you, Lord, yeah, life does tend to, yeah, fling us around a bit. So please, Lord, remind us, bring us back on track. May our focus be on you. May our hearts be to you. And what we see then in the rearview mirrors aren't the brokenness, aren't the hurts, aren't the pains, aren't the, the poor decisions we've made or all any of that. What we see in the rearview mirror is just you, Jesus. Because that's the goal. That when we look in there, we just see you. <laughs>